and I'd like to welcome you to my uh, latest reading project. Uh, you ever have one of those reading projects that you really want to get to, uh, but for whatever reason, you just can't do it? Um, you have the books there right in front of you. I mean, they're, they're staring at me right now. And uh, for the past year, all I've been doing is adding to the stack instead of taking away. Uh, if you can't tell from the title, uh, this reading project is the, uh, the Dawn of X uh, X-Men books, the... You know, the 2019 uh, launch, uh, the Jonathan Hickman run, that I did start in uh, in earnest back uh, when they started hitting the shelves last fall, but uh, just kind of fell off. Um, I've talked a time or two about, you know, uh, being a content creator and not having the time to have those four fun reading projects, you know, just the things that won't be multitasked into blog posts or, or episodes of a show. And so I figured a, a good workaround for, uh, you know, powering my way through uh, this Dawn of X, uh, the, the, the early issues of Dawn of X would be to, uh, well, make it a multitasker and uh, share my thoughts and share my uh, walkthroughs here on the air. Um, if, if nothing else, it'll, you know, it'll give me an impetus to do it. Uh, I don't know if anyone will actually listen. Um but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, it's It'll give me a way to um, maybe be more accountable for all the money that I'm spending on these books and, and not reading. Because <laughs> I've spent uh, hundreds of dollars on these X-Men books at this point, and uh, I think I've read three or four of them. So we're going to try to change that here with this program, which uh, I, I came up with the name X-Lapsed. Uh, because, yeah, it sounds like X-Lax, and that's kind of funny. But also, uh, I am a lapsed X-Men fan. Um, I've talked before at length about my life and times uh, as an X-Fan, and uh, there's actually an episode of uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths uh, that goes through my entire time, uh, 30 years uh, of X-Fandom, and how since, uh, you know, 1990, 1991, they've been a, you know, constant companion of mine. And, uh, and you know, it's... It's been sad not having them in my life, and it's even sadder um, seeing that there might actually be some stuff worth following and uh, kind of being on the outside looking in. You know, I see folks talking about uh, the stuff that's going on, and uh, I feel left out. You know, I, this is stuff that I feel like I ought to know, you know, as a, as a person who's invested so much time into this property. I really ought to know uh, what's going on, and uh, it's really bugged me that I don't. And, uh, you know, I've, I don't want to go too deep into, you know, the weeds here and uh, just retell my, my story. 
But because uh, this is going to be a, a shorter program overall than what you're accustomed to hearing from me, uh, you know, blather on for hours about absolutely nothing. This is going to be hopefully a little bit less meandering and more uh, material-based <laughs> as a uh, an, as an attempt to uh, to get in and out, <laughs> you know, just get through these books and. Uh, and see what discussion comes up, you know, see what uh, thoughts come up, see how I'm feeling about it. If anybody has any thoughts they'd like to share, I'm definitely, definitely very interested um, to uh, to have those discussions. But uh, you know, I left the X-Men fandom um, probably 2015, I think. I, the years just melt together now. Uh, as I'm, you know, getting into middle age, the years just melt. Uh, and it's hard to tell which is which, but it was right, it was like the about a... Maybe four or five months into the uh, the color run, you know, so X Men Blue, X Men Gold, um, they, those were bi-weekly books, so it didn't take long for me to realize that they just weren't going to be for me anymore, and uh, it was hard to uh, drop them, and for the longest time I didn't drop them. I just kept them on my pull list, and just didn't read them. So, you know, I think I collected up to like issue maybe fifteen or sixteen of both series, and I uh, got some, you know, X Men Red. A couple of the uh, X-Men Black uh, one-shots. But I wasn't reading them. And then when I would try to read them, I really, really wasn't enjoying them. I just didn't like the voice that they had. And just didn't feel like it... uh, It didn't feel like, you know, the book that I grew up, uh, you know, loving and and reading and just uh, uh, devouring. It just was a different thing altogether. So I finally uh, made the... Very difficult decision, more difficult than I really like to admit, um, decision to just leave them off my pull list. And, uh, yeah, that resulted in a, in a few, uh, restless nights. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm not ashamed to say it since I just said it, but, uh, it was, uh, not an easy decision. It was not a decision I made, uh, in haste. It was something that I really, really, uh, labored over, uh, before actually pulling the plug. But, uh. I just, uh, it was always there, you know, I always felt bad about it, and uh, the first month where my, you know, DCBS box came and there were no X-Men books in it, it hurt, it hurt a lot, Uh, not that I was reading them, but it's just, I knew that there were books out there that other people had that I didn't, and they might be enjoying them, and I could be enjoying them, maybe, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't cool, um, I did try to dip back in when they relaunched Uncanny, uh, uh, but then that was like a, I think that was also either a weekly or a bi-weekly book for a while, and that it was an expensive book, and uh, just couldn't do it. And I had already, you know, sort of severed the tie, and uh, it, it made it a little bit easier not to, you know, go, go back whole hog. Um, in, you know, in the months and years since, I've gone back and filled in those runs, but uh, I decided when I saw... The latest X-Men number one, which uh, is the one that came out in the fall of uh, 2019, that uh, (laughs) I sent out a tweet that said, I'm ready to be hurt again. Uh, And I really wanted to, uh, I wanted back in, you know, it'd been too long. And uh, at that point, you know, DC was going through a lot of changes too. So I needed some familiarity. I needed a touchstone. And the X-Men were always that touchstone for me growing up. So... I decided I wanted back in, and I bought uh, X-Men number one from 2019, and whew, I was lost. <laughs> I didn't know which way was up, um, and it was just, uh, 
it was like I missed a prerequisite. You know, it was like I was in a, a 301 class without taking the 101 or the, the 201. It was a lot of high concept, a lot of uh, sort of familiar faces, but not really. Um, it was very weird. Um, and I did my research to find out what came before that, what I might have missed out on, what I should check into, and I saw like the things like Age of X-Men, and I noped out of that pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what in the world that was. But uh, then I, you know, found out about the Hoxpox, you know, the House of X and the Powers of X, and uh, I heard that this is basically where the foundation for the 2019 volumes is being laid. So, uh, at... On Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving 2019, uh, the local comic shops here do Dollar Day. So all the stuff on the six-month or the year wall is a dollar. So I was able to pick up, you know, both runs, Hawks Pox, for a buck each. And uh, they sat on my uh, nightstand ever since. And, uh, I mean, we're in September right now, so that's, what, ten months? <laughs> ten months these books have been sitting on my, uh, on my nightstand, and I made it through about three or four of them. And then I read them, the those three and four again, because I didn't understand them. And then I read those three and four again, and then I, I just never got past it. And uh, today, and you know, as, I, as I'm recording this, today I actually pulled the remaining issues off my nightstand and had to blow dust off of them, uh, because they literally had dust on them. Um, <laughs> they were just there for just shy of a year. So we're going to try to fix this today. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start off... With the first issue of House of X, and uh, this is going to, uh, of course, have some spoilers in it because, you know, this is kind of my accountability check. This is me making sure that I'm getting what I can out of these issues, so I'm going to be sharing this synopsis. So if you haven't read Hoxpox and you're interested in doing so, uh, you might not want to listen to this because I'm going to, I think I'm going to spoil a lot of it. The thing with this book is it's a little too smart for me. Um, I'm working on my. My third psychology degree right now. I'm, you know, this is I'm working on a post master's degree, and House of X has <laughs> got me mind boggled. So I'm gonna do my best, um, and I hope uh, I hope you all decide to maybe come along with me on this trip here. And uh, you know, if you've got any interest in you know Hox Pox and the Dawn of X stuff, you wanna maybe come on and chat chat me up about some of this stuff. You reach out, and uh, we'll we'll do that. Uh, because I, uh, I I want this to be like a little uh, little book club for me here. It, it might just be my book club by myself, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not the greatest of company, but it's sometimes all I've got. So, with the prologue out of the way, let's hop into House of X number one uh, and try to see if we can figure this thing out. Now, this issue had a September 2019 cover date. The story is called The House That Xavier Built, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors by Marte Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, designs by Tom Muller, covers by way too many people to name, I'm not doing that, edits by Annalise Bisa, jo- Jordan D. White, and C.B. Somolsky has had a $5.99 cover price in the United States, and uh, according to the web, uh, this was released on July 24th, 2019. Now, we open this sucker up here, and we get a prologue. Now, we get a fella who I think is, um, I'm guessing is Professor X. He's wearing a uh, sort of like a Cerebro helmet, and he stood before a very gross-looking tree. Now, toward the bottom of the tree, toward the roots, there are some even grosser pods. It's really, 
like if you have that tryptophobia or whatever, this, this is kind of a triggery thing. Um, now these pods, some of them burst open, and from them spring, I'm assuming, mutants. Um, the professor greets them, and he calls them his X-Men. And it's worth noting that one of these newborns has what appears to be sort of optic blasty powers. Um, I'm trying to think, like, is this sort of like a biblical take on the original five? Um, one thing you're going to find out as I go through this is that I... I might find symbolism where there isn't any. Uh, when I when I read something by Jonathan Hickman, I am always looking for symbolism. Whether or not it's there, I mean, that's <laughs> that's not for me to say. I'm going to find it and uh, make a fool out of myself by investigating things that may not even exist. Now, from here, we get a few pages of like a time lapse starting five months prior on Krakoa. And then we go around the world and across the universe, and we see the X-Men are planting some Krakoan flowers... Now, I'm going to guess here that maybe these are the like the genesis of the Krakoa gateways, the ways to go you know, to and fro Krakoa, or they might be like the, the bloom of the habitats that we're about to see, and we're going to get to those in a little bit. I could easily be mistaken by any of this. Um, now, we settle in the now, and we're in the Jerusalem habitat, so this is a habitat, there's a lot of foliage. Now, we got a meeting of the minds here with uh, several ambassadors from disparate nations. They have been called here by Professor X. Now, he'd like to make them an offer that they may not be able to refuse. Apparently, there's a designer drug of some sort which promises to extend human life by five years, also prevent mental illness, and also act as an adaptive uh, antibiotic. So, uh, you know, panacea of sorts. Now, the thing of it is, Xavier's got it and he's only willing to share if he can come to terms with the governments of the world. He will only help those nations who recognize his own nation's sovereignty. Now, these ambassadors seem to be split on whether or not this could be a workable arrangement. Uh, some of them are like, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're, there's, there's got to be a catch here. Uh, some of them are saying, oh, this is, you know, this is a miracle. And so it's, it's going to be an interesting, you know, little schism here among the ambassadors. Before they get too far, however, they're interrupted by the arrival of the Stepford Cuckoos, uh, Esme and Sophie. And uh, I tell you what, I never thought I'd be so happy to see them, but I know them. And uh, <laughs> I really need to see some familiar faces here, even if it's the, the damn Stepford Cuckoos. Um, now, the humans are led up a flight of stairs where they're introduced to Magneto. Now, Magneto apologizes. He recognizes that he's a poor substitute for the man they expected to be chatting up here, and of course, that is Charles Xavier. Magneto offers to give the folks a tour, just to give them the lay of the land and maybe introduce them to what Krakoa is all about. Now, we get the first of very, very many infographic-style pages here, and, uh, you know... Uh, if you, if you do, like, a page of text in a comic, it's, like, one of my one of my big turnoffs. So I'm going to, like, glaze over. I might skim it. But I did try to read it <laughs> for this episode here. Um, now, this thing describes some of the flowers of Krakoa, including those that could be utilized as those miracle drugs for the humans, as well as those who could, that could act as gateways for the mutants. So these things are uh, multifaceted, uh, different different fruits, I guess. Um now we shift scenes to the Grey Malkin habitat in Westchester, which I'm gonna, you know, assume is the old Xavier School. Now there, Jean Grey is escorting some young mutants through one of the Krakoan gateways, including one with a, like, he's got green skin and like broccoli floret hair. He's not quite an asparagus person, but uh, I saw broccoli. 
Now, uh, we, or I, learn here that only mutants can travel through these gateways without permission. Uh, humans can be tagalongs, but only if Krakoa says it's cool. Now, as they step on through, word is sent to a Krakoan network control center of sorts, which is uh, pretty gross. It looks to be like part animal. There's like flesh and meat, but there's also vegetable and uh, a whole lot of eyes. Um, now, this, uh, this desk is being manned by Cypher and Sage, so some more familiar faces, and I'm happy to see them. They, they bicker for a bit, but uh, really nothing worth lingering on. Now Gene and the uh, and the you know the kids arrive and uh, the you know the broccoli kid is uh, very wowed to see Professor Xavier and a hairy guy which is Logan of course. In a nearby forest we see that Charlie and Wolverine are hanging out and uh, the kids are like magnetically drawn to Logan here. Now Wolverine seems very very happy, <laughs> and I haven't seen Wolverine since his return from the dead and not you know. Old man Logan notwithstanding I haven't seen like the real deal Wolverine Since you know Charles Soule killed him Back in I don't know 2013 2014-ish So you'll have to let me know Maybe he is kinder and gentler right now I, I couldn't tell you This whole scene here um, Feels kind of off uh, You know like when you're like If you watch an episode of the Twilight Zone In those first 10 minutes Um you can kind of get absorbed into the story where, like, if everything feels kind of, kind of right, but not like a little, a little bit off. Um, like I'm sitting here just waiting for the uh, the other shoe to drop because things seem to be a little, little too perfect here. Um, and uh, it does a great job of making me feel uncomfortable. If that's what the intention is, I mean, they knocked it out of the park here because it's very. Uh, you know, I don't see movies, but I, it wasn't Pleasantville like a movie where like everybody was like a shiny, happy, you know, person from 50s TV or something. It feels a little like that. Like this is just a like a utopia of sorts. And I'm not talking about the, the old X-Men utopia, but just a perfect place to be. And uh, it, it feels a little too perfect. Now, we get another infographic page here, which gives us a map of Krakoa. And uh, I believe it places it somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. If I'm reading this thing right, which I very well might not be. Our next stop is space, and uh, this is a rough one for me. Uh, we meet an agent named Gregor and an agent named Mendel, and they arrive at a satellite, which appears to be full of agents of various Marvel organizations, like S.H.I.E.L.D. and AIM and Hammer, some others. All of them make me yawn. I, 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 ugh, I hate this kind of stuff. Um, an info page that'll come in a little bit does confirm some of this, that, you know, they are, uh, you know, there are shield, hammer, strike, uh, aim, alpha flight, all, all sorts of, uh, different organizations, uh, have representation here at this satellite. And the satellite is a project called, uh, the Orcus Protocol. We see that Omega Sentinel Karima What's-Her-Face is here, and, um, I tell you, I, I read over these pages a few times, and a lot of it went over my head here, um... I'm hoping it clears up before long. I it just it feels like I like I missed something. Uh, maybe I did, or maybe I'm maybe I'm just very dense. I don't know. Uh, now before leaving the satellite, we see that it's surrounded. It's like a it's kind of like a like a, a wheel, and in like where in the middle, like where like the like the the middle of the wheel would be, is a, a giant sentinel head, uh, or maybe it's like maybe it's a master mold. I don't know. But uh, this scene, I hope we get. I, I both hope we get more and less of it because less because it, it kind of bored me, but more because I, I'd like to I'd like to know what the hell I'm reading. 
Now, we pop back to Earth, and we see Mystique, Toad, and Sabretooth pillaging the damage control offices. Uh, damage control is that, you know, that that company that would clean up after the superheroes. Uh, I think they we first met them sometime in like the late 80s or so. Now, the mutants get what they're looking for, which appears to be some data, and they split in the direction of the nearest Krakoan gateway to get back home. Unfortunately for them, they are descended upon by the Fantastic Four. Now, the thing waylays Sabretooth just in time for us to shift scenes back to Magneto's magical magnetic mystery tour. Now, the group leaves Jerusalem, and they arrive at a hub point uh, from which they can travel to, like, a whole bunch of different habitats, uh, so it's kind of like the uh, the Grand Central Station of, uh, of Krakoa, I suppose. Now, one of the ambassadors notes the strange Krakoan language posted above the doorways and uh, is even surprised that the mutants would go to such lengths as to, you know, create their own language. Magneto firmly states that, well, of course we're going to do that. We're, we're trying to create our own culture here, so language is a big part of that, which I think is a really cool... Uh, a cool little bit. I, I like that a lot. Um, it's a, it's it's like doing something instead of just saying something. You know, we've always heard that you know the mutant, like the evil mutants, are always they've got these like, I don't know, sort of ethnocentric. Is that the way you put it? A uh, uh, species centric, uh, sort of uh, sort of thoughts and ideals. But um, this is actually doing something. This is actually you know putting building blocks into this this culture and making it distinct from uh, everything else on the planet, which I really like that as a uh, as sort of a Rubicon of sorts, you know? Now, the tour passes through a door, maybe a few, uh, because we see a smattering of locales over a page of panels here. Uh, we see Zorn, two of them, both of them. Where did they, where did they come from? I, <laughs> I thought Zorn was dead. Um, or was Zorn part of the exile? I, it's been so long, I'm... I used to be able to recite X-Men chapter and verse. This is, it's, I'd say it was embarrassing if it was something more important, but it it is important to me, so it is a little bit embarrassing not to know some of this stuff. Um, I don't know where Zorn came from. Um, I I remember the Morrison stuff, and uh, I thought they, and I know Chuck Austin brought him back, but I thought that was it. Oh, well. Now, one of the ambassadors turns the subject of discussion to the military and how the mutants' newfound ability to travel anywhere they damn well please really changes the world dynamic. Now, Magneto assures him that this ability is not an instrument of war. And uh, the human ain't buying it, but, you know, if I'm being honest, if Magneto said that to me, I'm not sure I would either. Uh, you know, Magneto's done some pretty nasty things. Now, Magneto plainly states that there's never been a mutant war, which, I mean, I, I guess is technically true. I don't know if there's been, like, a declaration of war, but, I mean, there's been there's been some crap going down. <laughs> you know, a lot of it at Magneto's hands or behest. Now, the ambassadors are growing impatient, and they'd really like to finally go to Krakoa to talk to Charles Xavier. Now, Magneto tells them that both they don't need to go there, and anyway, man ain't welcome there in the first place. The ambassadors already know Xavier's terms, uh, and uh, the, the mutants, you know, all they want is their little slice of the planet, and humanity is more than welcome to the rest. So, Magneto, he asserts that, that uh, you know, Homo Superior would uh, inherit the Earth, but uh, all they want is their little slice of it. They're, they're happy to let humanity take the rest. 
Now we jump back to the Fantastic Four, and Mystique and Toad, they're able to eke their way out through a gateway, but uh, poor Sabretooth just bounces off. He does not make it through. So the Fantastic Four take their captive, and all looks to be fine and dandy, but then Cyclops emerges from the gateway. He greets Ben and congratulates him on his recent nuptials, and uh, then gets down to business with Reed. He asks Reed to hand Sabretooth over. He says, hey, release him to me, and uh, Reed ain't feeling it. Uh, Scott brings up the whole mutant amnesty thing, which, I tell you, sounds like a really bad idea, uh, especially when it comes to someone like Sabretooth. It's probably not the wisest uh, thing to have going. Um, now, Reed doesn't turn Vic over, and Cyclops, is he's cool with it. He's like, yeah, I'm not looking for an argument. We'll, we'll deal with this another day. That's fine. And, uh, you know, so much to his chagrin, Sabretooth is stuck with the Fantastic Four. Now, before leaving back through the gateway, Cyclops makes a very, um... uh, This is probably my scene of the issue here. He makes mention of Franklin Richards, and he tells Sue and Reed that whenever young Franklin is ready, that uh, he ought to know that there's family waiting for him on Krakoa. Uh, You know, Franklin is a a mutant, and uh, I, I absolutely love this. I thought this was just such... Such like a like a calculated thing that you'd say just to get under somebody's skin, but also kind of mean it. Um, I this was a very very powerful little bit here, and I I really really dug it. I I've been waiting for there to be some sort of conflict between the Fantastic Four and X Men over Franklin for years now. I mean, when I first heard of uh, probably in the mid '90s when I heard that there were these weird mentions of a group called the Twelve and. Uh, I was sure, I was hoping that Franklin was going to be put into that, or at least have some sort of a role in that. Uh, I was pretty sure he was going to, mostly because they they said he would. (laughs) He actually had him listed as one in, I think it was an issue of, maybe it was an issue of Power Pack or an issue of X Factor back in the uh, late 80s. But uh, Franklin was there, (laughs) and it's taken a long, long time for this to even start coming to a head. And I, 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 so cool, love it. From here, we hop into another info page, and this one is classifying Omega-level mutants, which uh, includes little Franklin and a whole bunch of mutants I could have sworn were long dead. Um, feels like just another reminder that, you know, stakes as we knew them, ugh, they just don't no longer exist. Uh, I think I saw, like, uh, like Banshee's name was in, there early, in here earlier. Uh, not on this page, but it, somewhere earlier in the issue, and I, I could have sworn Banshee's been dead forever. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we hop back to Jerusalem here, and the ambassadors take a sidebar to further discuss the situation. Esme, or the other one, uh, one of the cuckoos, uh, reveals that these ambassadors are all plants. And, uh, she goes on to call them all out. Uh, you know, they're here for different reasons than they, uh, than they had stated. Uh, she also reveals that one of them is packing heat. Uh, and so Magneto takes care of the pistol the only the way he can, by, you know, dismantling it. Uh, the ambassador says it's just there for protection. You know, he's only he's not carrying this to hurt anybody. He's just carrying it to protect himself. To which Magneto asserts that, uh, well, that's how it starts. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's not entirely wrong, is he? Now, we wrap up with Magneto telling the ambassadors that, uh, more or less, uh, humanity's got new gods now. <laughs> and it's them. Uh, and, uh, this is uh, where we end, up, end off today. Uh, this is the end of House of X number one. And, uh, wow, um, this was very dense, 
and it made me feel even denser. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Um, I'm, I'm coming away from it very intrigued. Uh, hopefully intrigued enough to continue through. Um, thought the art was really solid. Uh, the whole, like, the tone here, um, uh, you know, uh, when I talked about this on a different show, uh, after reading, after trying to read the first issue of, uh, the 2019 series, which I didn't, you know, I, I didn't appreciate quite as much as I could have with, a with a little bit more context, I said it reminded me of, like, the first day back at school where, you know, you recognize people's faces, but like maybe they're wearing they're wearing different clothes or have different haircuts, or they just or maybe they you know they blossomed over the summer or they they sprouted up six inches. It's familiar, but it's like an odd familiarity. It's uh, it's you know I I feel kind of it's hard to get comfortable. You know, there's a familiarity there, but there's not yet that comfort. It feels like a like you ever miss a sneeze. <laughs> It kind of feels like that. It's like you're just left with that weird buzzing in your head until it fades away, uh, but it's just uncomfortable. Um, yeah, we got that space bit, which I really probably could have done without, um, with the Master Mold uh, over my head for now. Hopefully that'll clear up as we go on. And, uh, I mean, I say that, but uh, I couldn't swear to a single word I just talked to you about. I, I Anything in this synopsis is... Uh, I don't know. I could be wrong on every single take I've given you. I could have, I could have been reading this thing, you know, backwards and upside down. Who knows? Um, I feel like, you know, with stories like this, uh, we or or I uh, tend to get too lost in the weeds. Um, I mentioned earlier. I, I I try to look for symbolism. I don't know if it's if it's my own silly ego trying to look smarter than I am uh, and <laughs> trying to find symbols. But, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my time reading this looking for symbols. Um, like, some of this felt very, very religious. They were, like, uh, religious bits here almost. You know, we have this, this tree with the, with the characters coming out of it, and you have Xavier reaching out as though he's God, and, uh, and almost like, it, it, like from a, for one panel, it almost looked like he bestowed powers upon that one with the optic blasts here. Um, but is that intentional, or is that is that like a red herring? Is that there for people who are like me, who tend to get lost in the scenery, you know? Um, like, will it pay off, or is this just something that, uh, that I'm 100% wrong on? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess we will see as we go along here, but... For the most part here, I, I don't do number scores, but I, I like this. I like this a lot. I think there's a lot of great ideas here. Um, that's part of what... And it's weird. Uh, when I think about like Jonathan Hickman's writing, I think about his, uh, his Fantastic Four and his Avengers, which were uh, also very high concept, but the concept was lost on me. It wasn't that I couldn't follow it. It was just that it didn't interest me. Um, where this, I'm not sure I can follow it, just yet, but I'm interested. Um, the the little bits with you know Cyclops talking about Franklin, loved that. I thought that was so cool. Um, the idea that that the mutants are creating their own culture, like in an actual, uh, you know, not tangible but seeable or, or hearable sort of way uh, with the, with their own language. I, I like that as a concept. 
Um, I could have, I would have liked seeing more of the team, uh, but I suppose we'll get there as we go, of course. But for the most part, I thought this was really good. I thought this was very, very fun. Um, hopefully, when uh, we get through this entire thing, I'll be able to look back on this and, and realize, uh, or maybe get some context clues so this would make even more sense, or maybe any sense <laughs> to me. But, uh, I know what I like, and I liked this. Um, I'm happy that I that I decided to do this here, and uh, I hope you all are too. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this a weird little uh, stream of consciousness uh, journey that I'm trying to go on here. And like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I'd love to have discussions about this stuff. Uh, try not to spoil me, but I mean, I know sometimes spoilers are unavoidable, and uh, these are old books, so it's you know not my not. It's not your fault that I didn't read them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, I think that'll be it for today, though. Uh, we're going to try to keep these, you know, short and painless and uh, not linger too long. I think today's episode might have gone a little bit longer just with the preamble and trying to set the table. Uh, and as we go through, there might be more bits and pieces that uh, take up some of our time, uh, especially if anybody is, is on with me discussing it. That might... Uh, that might result in a longer episode, but I'm hoping to keep these as, uh, you know, as close to a half hour or, or less as I possibly can. But uh, that'll do it for today. If uh, you want to get a hold of me, you can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find me at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, and uh, I'm currently in the process of trying to get all the audio under uh, one roof here. Um, I just learned that I can do subdomains on the website, so. I'm playing with that. Spent a lot of the day trying to uh, wrap my mind around that. And uh, hopefully that'll bear fruit before long. But uh, I want to thank you so, so much for hanging out. Um, I hope you, you dug this. And I hope you'll uh, come back and join me next time. So uh, till then, I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya. Living life.